This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast, the program where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, from animation to live action to claymation and everything in between. This is the show where you can come to hear about the latest, greatest, eldest, and everything about the Walt Disney Company and feature in short films. We just love all sorts of films, so stick with us as we try to cover the entire catalog uh, over the course of many, many moons. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, along with the folks that you are about to hear from. We run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find reviews, you can find show notes for this show, you can find uh, talk about the history of Disney feature films and shorts and all kinds of great stuff. So make sure you are checking out all the great stuff being posted over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Uh, joining me, as always, we have our fantastic panel of film experts called from the finest film experts in the land. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, uh, time traveler, overall uh, filmic fantastico, I believe is the term I would use, uh, and person who I believe has, has designed uh, things from every film all the way back to Clara Clean Thirteenth, all the way through the latest film in, in theaters through the magic of time travel. I believe that's correct. Also blew up the train in the Great Train Robbery. I knew it. I knew that was you. And, and the baby carriage in Battleship Potemkin. I did that. I knew it. I knew it. All right. So, of course, we also have Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find over at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com, who is also a fine film expert, uh, filmic fantastico, as well as Todd Perlmutter. How are you, Brie? I'm good. I like having the word fantastico associated with my name. I, I appreciate that. I think, I, I, think it, I think it applies. Well, thank you. It applies to you as well, sir. Oh, you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. And, of course, we have producer Fantastico, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who uh, produces this fine program and makes sense of all of our ramblings and uh, cuts this down into a semblance of coherence that you can all understand uh, and digest on your commute or in the gym or wherever you may be. How are you, Miss Cheryl? I'm doing good. Todd, I wonder if that's how, you're, that's how you got the livery stable in the great movie ride, is that they found out that you were in, in tra- involved with the ro- with the other with the other event. It actually used to be Bob's livery stable, but I went back in time and erased it and wrote my own name. I hate it when you do that. Have you not heard of the butterfly effect? Bob butterflies. I know. Yay. All right. <laughs> so today we are talking about the 2003 feature film Brother Bear, uh, and as per usual, from time to time we have guests who will join us on the program to discuss some of the films that they enjoy, and joining us this evening we have Mr. Chris Wakefield, who you can find at the Chris Wakefield blog, the Wakefield Report blog, rather, uh, at wakefieldreport.blogspot.com, or you can find on the Wakefield Report podcast. How are you, Chris? 
I am excellent. How are you guys? Uh, we could not be better. I mean, we probably could, but nobody wants to hear about it anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. So, as mentioned, we are talking tonight about Brother Bear. Uh, it is the 2003 feature from Disney Feature Animation, uh, the last film produced at the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida, uh, as it is now known Disney's Hollywood Studios or soon to be Disney Studios. Or, you know, we'll find out what the name. The name may have changed by the time this episode comes out. So just check back later. But this was the studio that put out Mulan and Lilo and Stitch and then uh, Brother Bear and was able to do a lot of different things that weren't done in some of the uh, feature films that came out of Los Angeles. Uh, Brother Bear being one of those where they took a few different chances. And it's interesting because some of the people who worked on this film and who worked on some of those other films have now sort of become – uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, royalty at Disney. So, for example, the, the lead animator for uh, Kenine, the main character here, uh, Byron Howard, it was one of the gentlemen who worked on Tangled. Uh, one of the story folks on this, uh, Nathan Greeno, was also on Tangled. Uh, and then those guys also went over to some of the other films that have recently come out from Disney Feature Animation. So it's interesting that they shut down the studio that produced the film, yet... Uh, the folks who worked on it are now sort of producing all the stuff that comes out of Disney feature animation uh, in the computer realm. Yeah, I, I think part of it was that they had this unique experience on this film of, like, at the time, taking three different styles of animation and kind of meshing them into this movie. Mm-hmm. Right, because much of the movie is hand-drawn, but there's a, there's a bunch of CGI scenes in it that all fit almost seamlessly to the point where you might not notice them. It's true. It's true. Right. They did they did similar things in Mulan, right? They did they did that with uh, some of the crowds and things like that in Mulan as well. Yeah, I mean, in this, the the two big scenes are the uh, the stampede, which happens in the beginning with the caribou, and then uh, later on with the salmon run. All the salmon are um, all digital, all CGI. Um, and the inter- imagine those don't taste good. No, well, you know, the bears were eating them though, so it's hard to say. It's true. Yeah, I had CG flavor. Little I, I hear they would have like a metallic taste to them. It's just what yeah. I'm thinking. I, it's all bits and bites. <laughs> true, true. That's, I was you know, say, you get like yeah. a little spark once in a while with every bite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, the the thing with the backgrounds is pretty neat. Did you did you read about that? I, I did not. Please enlighten. Yeah. So um, the background, you notice how it looks like oil painting. Yes. In this movie, right? That's that's intentional. That's like a whole homage thing back to the concept behind Bambi and in um, Mulan we talked at it as well right yes um, but they this used a particular artist that was a favorite of Michael Eisner because Michael Eisner actually collects this artist's work and they actually used his art collection as the models for this for the backgrounds that's interesting because they did the same like you said they did the same thing in Mulan and of course in Lilo and Stitch they did it even more uh, in this it, 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 like the watercolor background so it's just I guess it's something of the aesthetic of that Florida studio yeah I, I think well you know if you look at um, the old um, washed out watercolors designs that the state of Florida used to use in all their advertisements and stuff it's very you know flavorful down here to have that sort of thing going on so flavorful Flavorful, you know, like flavor of the month. Flavorful. Got it. Okay. I'm in. Understand. That's like a Florida Rocky. word. Yeah. I like Rocky oh, Road. Okay. Oh. Gotcha. 
See, us, us Georgia natives don't understand the Florida culture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm way up north. I have no idea. But wait, right. do, you, do you say Target or Target? Target. Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> depends on the day. Fair enough. <laughs> you, you can't pin me down. I'm, I'm always moving. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this film came out, like I said, in 2003. It was released Halloween weekend for whatever reason. I really can't fathom. Uh, we've talked on this show before about Disney's issues with release dates. Uh, and this was a big one. This is a film. I mean, this is a family film. It's uh, it's set in the post Ice Age Inuit time period, so it's it's not exactly a Halloween film. Yeah, it would have to be actually approximately ten thousand years ago for it to work right because okay. because um, mammoth history. <laughs> okay, yeah, mammoth yes, um, we're getting our mammoth history lesson. I like it. Go in, ahead. In most of the major continents, mammoths died out about ten thousand years ago. Though there are some small little pockets of them that existed longer than that, where this movie takes place, would not have had would not have had mammoths otherwise if it was any later than that. So that's so it puts it about ten thousand years ago. Okay, all right. Still, but still not a Halloween movie. No, well, maybe the spirit stuff. Or maybe the tra- the the costuming or changing into things. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but it, know. Halloween was Friday night, so the movie didn't come out on Halloween night for whatever reason. It came out on Saturday, November first. Again, bizarre. Yes. So it didn't do particularly well at the box office that opening weekend. It did about nineteen million dollars and finished behind uh, Scary Movie Three. Which is in and of itself scary. <laughs> that there's a third one, or that it beat the brother bear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, cool. and yeah, it ended up like doing around 85 million domestic during its uh, during its initial run, which is probably the reason why the Florida studio was was shuttered. Yeah, I mean, this was this was their last great attempt at hand drawn animation, right? Uh, well, they, in Florida. In Florida, yeah. We, we covered earlier on this program the last attempt uh, in California before Princess and the Frog, which was Home on the Range. And that one, I will say, I can understand why you would shut down the studio after yeah. that film. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's actually the next film after this, so, you know, in terms of um, chronologically, right? It, yes. Yeah, it's, it's bad. You went from something like this to, 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 to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not not a good transition, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Critics weren't fond. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, the other films, Mulan and Lilo and Stitch, that came out of the studio, which I feel like are obviously different films, but in the same the same aesthetic to them. Like we said, you know, the same backgrounds, the same animators, and those sorts of things. They were really fond of those those films, uh, but not of this one, which is bizarre. Yeah. Though Ebert and Roper both loved loved the movie. <laughs> True. Very true. So, yeah, they uh, they did they did like it, uh, and they felt it was too too much like other films that had come out at the same time. So they felt it was a lot like Lion King or uh, Ice Age that came out from 20th Century Fox around the same time. Uh, Ice Age actually came out first, but Brother Bear was in production first. So say what you will, but it, it has similar themes to, to those two films, but I, d- I do feel like it's very different uh, 
from the look and feel and how it works than, than those two films were. So I, I don't really understand that criticism of it. I, can, I think you can. There, there are certainly things that we'll talk about as we go through the film that you can criticize. <clears throat> but I don't think it's very derivative. I do feel like it's a, an original film. I haven't seen any other films set in Inuit North America. So it, it's interesting because the, the story of the film uh, was sort of – I don't know. It, it, the The trailers called it out, but it's it was hard. It was something that was hard to put into a poster. So if you see any of the posters, um, it just shows for the most part Kenai, the main character, as a bear, uh, and Coda, his his brother bear, quote unquote. Uh, and that was sort of the marketing campaign. The trailers really revealed more about it, which is that Kenai is a human who is transformed into a bear. Uh, but a lot of the trailers I saw focused on the two the two moose. Uh, with good reason, Rutt and Took, the two moose that are played by uh, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, sort of reprising their characters from SCTV. Mm-hmm. It, it, so I think from a marketing standpoint and a release standpoint, release date standpoint, they Disney really missed the mark with this because I feel like it's it was a good movie that had a chance to do well. Uh, but the timing uh, of its release and sort of how they chose to get the word out about it uh, seem, seems a little strange to me. Yeah, You want to know what's ominous about the ad thing you were talking about? Please? What, what movie did they run that ad in front of initially? Uh, I don't know. I'm scared. Find, Finding Nemo. Wow. That's, that's not good when you can't get something in front of that huge blockbuster hit. Yeah, well... Well, consider this that the movie. Well, no, no, right. Well, that's it. They, so they ran it as the tra- as their trailer beforehand. The two guys and the moose basically were like, "Well, if there's any movie you should watch this this year, it's ours." They go, "But yeah, but these people in the theater are already too late." You know? Do you remember? Do you remember the whole ad? I, I don't remember the whole thing, but yeah, yeah, now I can remember what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. But what movie did it lose to at the Academy Awards? Finding Nemo. Right. So it's it's like you know foreshadowing almost. Yeah. Finding Nemo goes on to be the biggest hit of the year, basically, and the biggest animated film ever at that point, and this one shuts down a studio. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. So, like I said, the film is set in in an Ice Age, a little after the Ice Age, basically, like you said, Todd, at least 10,000 years ago, uh, and it's set among a group of Inuit tribesmen, or at least that's what we're... That's what most people believe. It's never really sort of spelled out in the film, but that's what most people believe it is. Uh, it opens with a little montage about uh, the lights that touch the earth, which are the great spirits. Uh, and they're said to be the spirits who make all the changes in the world. So it shows, like, the spirit lights come down and they turn, you know, ice into flowers and grass and all this sort of thing, and uh, they're making a, a, a piece of stone into something that we don't know what that is because it's in the hands of uh, this older woman. So that's sort of the, the narration that opens it. So I think if I can guess at what some of the critics probably didn't enjoy about this is that the magical aspects of it, such as this, are a little far-fetched for how realistic the rest of the movie is. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of a disconnect between those two things. Which is the same problem they have with Pocahontas. Yep. You're right. Yeah, yeah. With, with Grandmother Willow and all that good stuff. And her being able, uh, being able to understand. Right. This point in the film, this opening with the lights in the sky, because most people feel that that's the, a representation of the northern lights. 
right? So they look at that as being the reason why they place that as being Inuits because of where the location of where the lights are. So we are we are introduced to that concept, and then we're introduced to three brothers. Uh, there's there's Kinai, Danahi, and Sitka, who are the the three main characters in this first part of the film. And what they are, we are introduced to them sort of through a quick little bit of the stampede that you talked about, Todd, with the caribou uh, that is digitally animated, where uh, we get introduced to Kanai through sort of his action as he has kind of called the stampede down upon them. Uh, and then they go right into a Phil Collins bonding montage. Uh, so we didn't mention that Phil Collins does the music for this, which is uh, he's picked up from Tarzan. Right. Actually, this initial song is not Phil Collins. It's it's not, but he wrote it. Didn't he? he he did write it, but it's actually sung by Tina Turner. Okay, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> really? <laughs> I really. Yeah. I did I, not know that. I I'm pretty sure I know the difference between Tina Turner and Phil Collins singing. I'm just. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yes, I will. I will grant you that one. <laughs> I love his reason for uh, causing the stampede because he just says to his brothers, "Man, never try and milk a caribou," which which is just wrong, really. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're milking them for coffee. <laughs> but yeah, it goes, so so it's a Tina Turner montage. Am I the only one who didn't know this, Chris? Did you know this? I picked up that it was Tina Turner, the voice of it. Yes. Seriously, I'm the only one who didn't pick this up? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to blame the cold. I have a cold, so I can't hear well. <laughs> well and oftentimes when I have a cold, uh, Tina Turner does sound like Bill Collins to me, too. So I don't <laughs> like... Thank you, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just keep yeah. going. Okay. Just keep going. All right. So, it, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's odd, right? Because normally you see the bonding between main characters through action and through things like that but it, it comes in the in this montage which is you know what five minutes into the film and it's you know it's, it's them doing what brothers do they're horsing around they're playing with each other they're fighting they're wrestling they're riding canoes you know like you do you know all those sorts of things that the brothers do and it's it's good i mean it, it accomplishes the goal right of of showing us that these are three brothers who get after each other they pick at each other but they're still brothers at the end of the day that that is being brothers Yes. Yes. Uh, but it, it, it was, I thought, strange that this is done primarily through the montage and not through character interaction. I think it works really well in this movie, though. See, I, I, I don't, but that's okay. Really? I, I don't know. I think it did, too. Yeah, I, th- I think it gives you a good sense of how they relate to each other. So... Well, I, I, I say that. I say that it does – I would say that it works well. It would. I would say it worked well if not for the things that comes after it. Like the montage itself is perfectly well done. It's just that that happens and then these other things happen shortly thereafter and you really don't have a time to to get to know a couple of these characters very well. Okay. But I don't think you – I'm not sure you really need to know them. And that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean we're going to get into it, but I think the important thing is is from my point of view is that it it a lot of this centers around 
two the whole movie is based on two things that occur, right? One is something that Sitka says. Yes. And one is the fact that had Kenai just tied up the basket, none of the movie would have ever happened. Completely. The basket is the MacGuffin. <laughs> so those are those are the two big things. And I, I read – I've never actually listened to it because I don't own the uh, actual Blu-ray. I have a digital copy. Yeah. So it's – but apparently on the, on the DVD and Blu-ray, there is a soundtrack where the commentary is done by the moose. And apparently – That sounds amazing. And they actually make that point. They, they basically said, had he just gone back and tied it up or something like that. And I'm like – and I made that comment in my notes before they even like – before I even went and found that in my research. So it's kind of sort of interesting. Yeah, it's true. No, I definitely want to spring for that Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because I, I actually made Todd watch Brother Bear 2 after watching this. So We, we did. We watched Brother Bear 2 right afterwards. So. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I have not seen that one. I have seen the others, but I haven't seen that one. It's, it, I think it's I think it's not great, but it's top. It's, there's, some, there's, a major, there's a major problem, though. So. It, it it has much more problems than this movie has, but but then again, all the twos have lots of problems. This is this is a very valid point. But it's probably top shelf among the twos. Wow, that's 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 well, it's not high praise; it's low praise, but still, it's praise yeah. for for a two. So, yeah. but we'll get we'll get to that movie eventually. The top of the bottom is still the bottom. It, good point. So, the the whole reason why the brothers are together is they are traveling back to the tribe. Uh, it is time for Kenai to quote unquote become a man and receive his sacred totem, which is they give them a necklace in the shape of an animal, and the animal then represents the things that he has to do in order to become a full full fledged man. And get his handprint on the wall of the sort of the cave where they all are. So, for Kenai at this point, he is you know he wants to be somebody you know he wants to be a big, strong, strapping young man. His his brother Sitka has an eagle, uh, the eagle of guidance, and his brother Danahi has the wolf of wisdom. Uh, Danahi is not exactly wise. He has not yet achieved his wisdom. Uh, Sitka, however, has. He has achieved his guidance. Uh, Kenai, at his ceremony, receives a bear. And this is what we saw at the very beginning, the old woman. The stone was turned into a totem of a bear. And it is supposed to represent love. Which I don't... I don't understand how the bear represents love. But it makes sense in the rest of the film. I, I think that – well, one important thing, by the way, is with totems is that um, the animal and the emotion and the, you know, the representation are not connected. Like there could be a bear of anything. It's, in this case, it's a bear and love, right? That's, that's the important thing to consider, right? It's not that all bears I are love. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I presume you're right, but I don't know for sure. Oh, yeah. I've read enough about this to know. Okay. All right. Yeah. I trust you. <laughs> this time. Next time, watch out, mister. All right, fine. <laughs> the sky is red. That was next time. See, I don't believe that. There you go. Okay, we can continue now. All right, so we've resolved that. All right. So, Kenai is not, not, not happy about this because he says, you know, bears are thieves and they're no good. And like Todd said, it, right before they're going to the ceremony – 
he is supposed to tie up a basket full of salmon that they have caught, and he and he does, but then it falls down. And rather than go back and retie it, he leaves it and goes to the ceremony because he's so excited. And when they get out of the ceremony, the basket has been taken by bears, and they have eaten the salmon. So it just proves his point, right? His brother Denahi's upset with him because Denahi told him to tie up the basket. Kenai's upset because the bear he's gotten a bear and he doesn't want to be a bear. And Denahi's upset also because he made the basket. It took him forever to make the basket. There's a whole thing going on of a sibling rivalry. Sitko, of course, is in the middle, and uh, it's just the way brothers are. And so Kenai decides, you know what? I'm just I'm going to go get the basket back. I'm going to go get the bear and get the basket back because that's all you care about. He's upset more about the totem than he is about Denahi getting onto him. But he just goes off to to find the bear and. As you said, Todd, this sort of starts everything into motion uh, because this scene that happens next with him finding the bear is something that basically plays out throughout the whole movie because we get more and more – we see what we think we see here, but we get more and more information about what actually happened in this as the movie goes on Um, and and sort of a big reveal towards the end. But if you're following the film throughout, this whole scene – should come back to you in your head over and over again and you think, huh, I wonder what that was. You know what I mean? And you get the final – all the pieces put together for you at the end. Uh, but it's – that this was what I thought was the best part of the film. It's, it's, it's so well done, this scene, that it's able to drive the rest of the movie even though it's, it's very early on. It's only like 20 minutes into the film. Huh. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I hadn't looked. I mean, like I knew. I mean, I to me, okay, I mean, this was not the first time I'd seen the movie. I'd seen it two other times before this. And thinking back to the first time that Charles and I watched it, which was on a cruise, by the way, um, it, I kind of sort of felt that the the secret of the plot is very transparent. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, um, I, I didn't think it was a big reveal. I mean, like I get that kid, you know, kids won't get it, but I'm not even sure when it's revealed at the end, kids get it. Because it's a very esoteric concept, what actually happens. I feel like yeah. this is not directed toward kids. I don't think I got it. How's that for <laughs> I'm serious, folks. I don't understand what you're talking about. Uh, well, I mean, what, what, what we're talking about is the fact that the bear that he's killing in the beginning is actually Coda's mother when yes. Coda shows up. Okay. And that's revealed that's reveal at the end of the movie. But I kind of sort of feel that it's very transparent because he's a bear all of a sudden, and two seconds later there's this little bear, and it can't find its mom, right? Yeah, no, and I agree with you. I agree that it's pretty transparent. What I'm saying is, like, they 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 drop hints about it all the way through until it's finally revealed. They do. Yes. I agree yeah, with that yeah. statement, yes. Well, because there's that story that Coda's constantly trying to tell him. Right. Well, it's like like to you, like you and I, like I'm I'm with you. I immediately picked up with the fact, oh, I got separated from my mother. I'm like, oh, that's not good, right? Even and this was the first time I'd actually sat down and watched the whole movie. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but this is the first time I actually sat down and watched the whole movie, and I knew immediately that, right? But then as you're watching it, there's little dribs and drabs of information that come out during the whole journey that they take that you figure it out pretty quickly. But to me, the reveal is not just that the bear that he kills is Coda's mother. The reveal is that Coda is right there during the whole thing, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, like there's – so this scene just gets layered on and layered on throughout the whole movie. Like True. if they didn't get this right, 
it could have destroyed the whole thing. Yeah, you want to know too? Um, did you know the the script of the movie was actually changed partway through I, production? I didn't know that. Yeah, so the the two big changes were this. First of all, um, when Kenai changed into a bear, he was actually originally supposed to be the smaller bear following a bigger real bear. Okay, so he was supposed to be the Coda character originally, and so they got rid of the older bear and swapped, made him the older bear. You know, so that's a kind of an interesting change. The other one that was the Nahi was actually supposed to be Kenai's father originally. I did know that one. So they made those two changes, and that really, I think that I think they were good changes because I think the dynamic of the characters in the film works. Yeah, well, the way it is. Like, I don't think it... I, I just kind of sort of feel like I can see why they made the change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk about this scene, because, again, it, it does drive the rest of the movie. So Kenai goes after the bear. Uh, he finds the bear on a glacier, or at least on, on a valley of a glacier, and chases the bear up to a glacier. The bear is striking back at him, and in this scene, as you see it at the beginning of the movie, it, the bear is you're very monstrous. You know, it's rearing up on all on its back paws and striking at Kenai, uh, and it's Sitka and Danahi who come after him to try and help. Uh, but the bear, you know, kind of swats them away, fights Sitka off. And Sitka is able to save Kenai from the bear by striking the glacier so that the glacier falls and both he and the bear fall into the river below. Now, we see the bear get out and the bear walk away, uh, but we don't see Sitka. And it is presumed, and it's accurately proved later, that he died, gave his life to save his brothers. Yes. They have a funeral pyre for him. That's pretty, pretty final right there. True. Well, we don't we don't see the body is what I'm saying. It's the old classic comic book trope. If you don't see the body, they're not dead. But in this case, we know he's dead because he shows up later as a spirit. So, like you said, Todd, they have a funeral pyre for Sitka, and um, Kenai is upset. Right? He he's he blames the bear for this. And what happens is there is a moment between he and Denahi, which is a really important moment in the film, where Denahi says, you know. Uh, Kenai says, I blame the, you know, let's go get the bear. And Denahi says, I don't blame the bear. Implying that it's Kenai's fault that Sitka died, not the bear. Um, so Kenai stomps off, goes after the bear, chases the bear up into a mountain, and manages to kill the bear. The bear, you know, is sort of attacking him, trying to keep him away. Uh, and Kenai manages to save himself by holding his spear up as the bear charges him, and the bear falls onto the spear. At that point, the lights come down, touch the mountain, and Sitka's spirit, in the form of an eagle, lifts Kenai up and turns him into a bear. Yeah. Which which is the main thrust of the film. He becomes a bear. Um, And Danahi, who has been chasing after Kenai, realizing, you know, that that Kenai was going to go after the bear, only sees Kenai's torn up clothes and starts hunting the bear. Uh, until Kenai the bear falls off of the cliff and sort of blacks out, and that's sort of the first the first third of the movie basically is this is up to that point. So he doesn't actually turn into a bear until about twenty three twenty four minutes in. Yeah, yeah, it's a good while. while. Yeah, it's I, yeah it's it's exactly twenty four minutes according to everything I read. Um, so you know what's 
I, we mentioned this back in the Brave podcast. That Brave actually steals something from this movie. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, what what it steals from this movie is if you pay very close attention to the bear before Kenai turns into a bear, the mother bear has very dark, coal-like eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And when yeah. Kenai is the bear, Kenai has very human eyes, right? And all the other bears suddenly get very human eyes, right? right? So that's, that's because, a very important thing. Right, because it's how we see it versus how they see each other. Correct. That's strong. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, and it's just it's, – it's really – I think it's – Brave was genius for stealing this because this is really an awesome way to represent this. I, yes. I just don't know any other way to put it. I also think they stole the totem. Stole the totem? What yes. do you mean? Because um, when you look at the design of the totem in this movie, and then you look at look at like the stuff the wind the wind the the wood the wood carver made, they were all in that same like bear the de- de- same design. Not like just me. that the the wood carver in Brave looks a lot like the shaman lady. <laughs> and that's true. That's yeah. a good point. One of the things that really it didn't throw me off, but really kind of irritated me a little bit was the fact that the whole transformation process happened so quickly, and there wasn't that much um, perspective put into the fact that um, the older brother was that responsible for his two younger brothers, and that okay, I'm aggravated with you, and I'm going to turn you into a bear to punish you. And I think that could have been developed a little bit more. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. I mean, that's what I was getting at, sort of with the with the whole um, montage thing. Is like, it took me a minute as I'm watching this to to make the relation between the fact that it was Sitka doing the transformation and like why he's doing it and and all that sort of thing. Um, and some of that gets explained when he wakes up after being a bear. But you're right, Chris. I mean, it's uh, to me that that was a little confusing. Well, well, think back to that line that I was talking about that Sitka says, where he goes, he goes. I got my guidance when I realized that my guidance was to help the two of you through life. Yes. Right. So when he when he dies, he still has to complete that mission. Right. He can't have that be unfinished. Which is odd because he got his guidance totem, yet he has to still do his guidance. Well, yes. I don't. I don't think that's something that you lose, right? It's a lesson that you learn and carry with you. Well, otherwise, otherwise, why would he stay the bear at the end of the movie? Um, Sorry, okay, I'm going to spoil Brother Bear 2 for everybody. Oh, I can't. Ryan Ryan hasn't seen it. Dang it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't plan to. Go I ahead. can't spoil. <laughs> you have, you're going to see it. We're going to review it on the podcast. So you're going to see it. I don't want to spoil it for Not you. Not this year. Actually, I think it does on the calendar for this year. It's <laughs> a whole other question. Um... I do want to say there is one way of undoing becoming connecting with your spirit that they that they tell us how you can do it in Brother Bear Two. That's all I will say. There is a way of undoing your connection with the spirit. Interesting. Not interesting enough to make me want to see Brother Bear Two, but interesting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, the the basic concept is you know he's now bear and we should mention that the aspect ratio of the film actually changes at this point so the first part of the film is in sort of your standard hd tv ratio uh todd you would know this better than i what's the the aspect ratio one and three quarters to one thank you uh and then it goes to two two and two and a third to one right correct okay uh which is sort of more standard for a widescreen film it 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 goes from anamorphic 
to uh, CinemaScope, just so we're sure that we know what two types it actually is. In CinemaScope. In CinemaScope. So after all this, when Danahi realizes that he thinks the bear killed his brother, Kinai, so he vows to go after the bear, which is interesting because you, in the prior scene before Danahi ran off, he actually tried to stop – I mean before, before Kinai ran off, Danahi actually tried to stop him. Yes. From doing it. So the, the roles have reversed, right? It, keep, it keeps regressing down the chain. So – and this goes again with Sitka. Sitka's not just turned Kenai into a bear to teach Kenai something. He's turned Kenai into a bear to teach both brothers something. Oh, good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Very right? good point. Um, yeah. and, and also you end up with this very biblical moment because now you have a battle that's between Cain and Abel essentially. Right. Hmm, I didn't think of it that way. Only Cain has no idea who Abel is. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that stuff happens. happens. That would have made the whole different twist on that story. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> How do you know that's not the twist on the story? Uh, good point. Well, I've read the Bible, that's why. Doesn't say, <laughs> doesn't say Abel's not a bear. Oh, good point. It doesn't. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm gonna have to look at it. This could go many places. Yeah, that's okay. All right. So, <laughs> Kenai ends up uh, awakened by Tanana, the old shaman woman from the from the the tribe, uh, who can't understand him because they do a really great thing in here where when Kenai is the bear and you're seeing things from his point of view, he can talk, but everyone else can't under he can't understand what the humans are saying, and then vice versa. When we see things from Tanana's point of view, and Kenai is talking, all she hears is roars like a bear. Uh, again, Brave stole this. Indeed, it did. <laughs> Indeed, it did. Yep. Uh, she can't speak to him. She can't tell him what happens, but she knows that it that Sitka did this because she's again the shaman of the tribe, uh, and she says the only way he can go back to normal is he has to fix what he did wrong. So she knows he did something wrong. Kenai does not admit that he did anything wrong. Um, But what was interesting is that they got it across. They got the point across, and I can prove it because I was watching this with my daughter, right? And she only saw the first 24 minutes of the movie before it switches to widescreen. And when he is going to kill the bear, like four times during that whole sequence, she's saying he shouldn't do this. This is wrong. And she's six years old. Yeah. No, you're right. So they did a remarkable job without really saying, like, he should not kill the bear. Like, they got it across in the beginning, and you know it here when he's become the bear, that that's what he did wrong. Um, I do want to say that in that I do question... I hate to say this. The, the, um, the shaman's skills based on Brother Bear 2. You so. question the skills. What do you mean? You don't want to reveal. I don't right, want to reveal. Fine, fine, fine. But now, this is the first point in the movie, too, where you, where you see an eagle watching them. I didn't notice that. Yes. So if, if you look, when they pull out, as just as Tanana does her look disappearing act, yeah. right? there's an eagle watching Kenai. Up in the tree before they do the scene shift. I I compl- Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I did see this. Okay, okay. Now I don't feel so dumb. I did see that. Right. 
So, and, and there's a few other points where the eagle sh- keeps showing up throughout the movie, so that's the whole thing, is that Sick is actually watching everything go down the whole time. Well, he should, but since he put it all into motion. Yeah. Yeah. So, short, very shortly after this, um, Kenai gets into a trap. He... He see he is trying to figure out what's going on. He sees uh, two moose, Rut and Tooth, that we talked about. It's Rick Baranis and, and Dave Thomas, uh, who are reprising basically almost entirely their characters from SCTV. Now, I don't know who came up with this idea, but it's brilliant. It, it, it really is. I So, Bree, you probably didn't understand this. I have no idea what you what you just said. Now go, go go on YouTube and look up Bob and Doug McKenzie, and you will totally get this. Okay. Yes. So, for those of you who don't know, Todd, do you want to you want to explain Bob and Doug McKenzie? No. Now, Chris, did you know who Bob and Doug McKenzie were when you were watching this? I knew vaguely. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, um, when I was a young boy. <laughs> there was a competing show for Saturday Night Live called SCTV, which is Second City Television because it takes place in Chicago. Um, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas were two of the guys who were the comedians on the show, and they did this routine where they did Bob and Doug McKenzie, and they do this whole heavy, thick Canadian A accent the whole time, you know, where they go A after everything, right? Yeah. And note, I can't do a Canadian accent at all, so that's about the best you're going to get from me. And it's it's really funny stuff, and I'm, they were not just popular in the U.S. They were super popular in Canada because Canada was all over them as, like, almost national heroes. Oh, yeah. And they had a – didn't they have a, a movie or a TV show? Uh, they did some – yeah, they did a spinoff of some kind. I have to, we'll have yeah. to look it up. But, yeah, you're right. And so uh, – and, like, yeah, it's just it, – it was brilliant. For them was that before? Them. That was before his "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" days, correct? Oh yeah, long before. Yes. So I don't know who it was that decided to have, you know, Bob and Doug McKenzie be the two moose, but it was pretty fantastic. Uh, and so you get introduced to them there, but then uh, Kenai gets caught in a trap, and he ends, ends up getting freed by Coda, a small bear cub, who basically chats his ear off for almost an entire day while Kenai tries to figure out how to get out of the trap himself. Um, Coda makes a deal with him, though, um, and says, you know, if you will take me to the nearby salmon run, um, because my, I've gotten separated from my mother, can you take me to the salmon run? I'll, we'll meet her there, and then I will take you to the mountain where the lights show, right? Which is where Tanana told him to go. So Kenai finally makes the deal. Disney has a neat way of doing this where they introduce a, a, a younger character to their mentor for the movie where like the younger character just gets on the person's nerves and drives them crazy. We saw that in Wreck-It Ralph with um, Vanellope. Or not Vanellope, I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vanellope. With, with Vanellope, when she first meets Ralph in the tree, she just talks and talks and talks and talks. So they do a great job at kind of doing that initial relationship building. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something they're doing a lot more of these days, yeah. And to back up to the moose real quick, I wonder if they were put in in the initial first version of the script or in the in the rewrite. Hmm. No idea. But yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if we have any information. I couldn't find any information on that, but that was one of the things I thought of was that they were in the first draft or in the in the redo that Disney did. 
I don't know. I, I did read something that said that they were almost equally popular in like Switzerland or something like that. But they didn't use Canadian voices. They did like their version of – oh, I know what it was. In Sweden, it, they used uh, – they named them after two of the members of the band ABBA. That'll do it. Nice. <laughs> okay. And the Swedes were like all over that. It was like <laughs> – well, there are some promotional materials that Disney released where it's nothing but the moose. You know, on the posters, it's the moose are on the loose and things like that. So they obviously were a key element to selling the movie. Oh, yeah. They focused on, like, like Todd was saying, the, the trailer that came on before Finding Nemo is like almost entirely the two moose. Um, and, and so I was surprised actually watching the whole movie this time how little they're actually in it. Because they're, I would say, what, 15 minutes in, in the whole movie? Yeah, if yeah, it's not long enough for them to be much more than that. So, yeah, it's a short movie too. That's which is interesting. Um, but but yeah, they're not in a ton of the movie. But yeah, a lot of the marketing materials focused on the two of them. Uh, so I can understand where people would feel sort of a, a bait and switch. And I, I wonder too, Chris, if you were saying like when were they when were they added? Like that sensibility feels much more like the stuff that we've seen from uh, from Howard and Greeno on on like Tangled and some of the newer films than what would than Mulan or Lilo and Stitch. You know what I mean? Like it seems a little different sensibility. So I wonder if it was something you know of that that not those two, but that generation of, of filmmakers who decided to to add that. Well, and then. We see that where the story is just so heavy, the story is so thick that you need that comic relief. You need Timon and Pumbaa. You need the three little brothers and Brave to be cute little bear cubs to jump around and mess stuff up. So sometimes in that story, like in Brother Bear, where the storyline is just too heavy, you need to have that comic relief, and sometimes they kind of force it in. Yeah, so... Koda makes the deal with Kenai, frees Kenai, and uh, they immediately have to run because Tanahi is hunting Kenai because he thinks that the bear that he sees uh, is the bear that killed his brother. And, and so they have to go and hide in a glacier. Uh, they manage to hide away from Tanahi and start their trek to, uh, to the glacier or, and to the salmon run, rather. So it's interesting because the first part of this film is like really, really plot intensive uh, and lots of things going on. And then the next – I would say like the next middle third of the film is very much just the journey and the bonding between Kenai and Koda, which again – now this one is Phil Collins when, when Kenai and Koda start bonding, correct? It is. Yes. All right. It's not Tina Turner. No. 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 Okay. They, they, they used up their budget. yeah it's interesting because again it's an emotional resonance part of the film where they have to show the emotional connection between these two and that's the central relationship in the film so yeah there's there's a whole bit here where they're trying to establish this relationship between kenai and koda uh and kenai is basically he doesn't want anything to do with them because koda is a bear and kenai doesn't like bears which is ironic because he is now a bear. He's down on himself. <laughs> he is. He, he needs some self-esteem is, is what we're saying. Uh, but, but they do you know, sort of establish this brotherly relationship between the two of them during this Phil Collins song, which I forget the name of. Um, I can't remember this one. I remember uh, the one is, at the Salmon Run. But I this, is, this is On My Way. Okay. Okay. 
But it's, it's interesting because, like I said, the first part is so plot-driven, and this is much more about this journey between the two of them with occasional Rut and Took show up and say, hey, can you help us out and guard us from you know the hunter who's coming? And uh, we have this whole montage, and we have uh, Kenai comes up with the idea for them to ride woolly mammoths to get where they're going, to hide their tracks. Yeah. I, I, I don't foresee that. I don't see this as very realistic. I think Todd <laughs> tested this. I tested this? Yeah. Todd rode a woolly mammoth? Yep. That's um, what I'm saying. I am yeah. so jealous right now. Well, you know, this. If you remember, there's a scene in the beginning where he does, where he rides a mammoth. So I think that was just a foreshadow of the fact that he would be doing this later. Like it was something he regularly did anyway. True. I still think you tested it, Todd. I tried to save the mammoths. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Didn't work out. Yeah. Well, you can't do every. You can't. I mean, you can't save everything, Todd. You know. No. Let's have a moment of silence for the woolly mammoth. Right. Okay, moment's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so it's interesting because, you know, you have the moose doing their comic relief thing, laying on the back of the mammoth, telling jokes about driving the mammoth like it's a car. Um, they can't get off the mammoth at the very end, which was my favorite gag. Uh, whereas Kenai and Koda are, you know, bonding, becoming closer together. And they manage to to leave, and they have to escape Denahi once again, right? Because they're they're talking to a couple of uh, rams and things, and then Denahi comes up and tries to. He, they see that they have to go down through this. I don't know what you would call it. It's like a lava pit or something. Yes, uh, it's. I wrote hot springs, but yeah, it's it's like the only way you get hot springs is it requires water and lava to be in close proximity. So there is definitely lava involved. Yeah. Which is bizarre to me. Like, they're in the middle of this, you know, great northern country, and here's this lava flow that doesn't seem connected to anything. Yeah. Also, um, an interesting thing happens before they even do this is when they're, when they're finishing up their ride. Yeah. Um, they have a whole conversation about Sitka, and he doesn't know how to refer to what happened because Code is a bear, and he doesn't want to, like, you know, it's a, but he, also a kid, so he doesn't want to give him bad thought so he says a monster killed his brother now he means a bear but from Coder's perspective he's not talking about a bear we find out later on right yep that's a good point because because um you know Coder's a bear so he doesn't think of bears as monsters he thinks as of hunters as monsters as we learn later on so yeah a lot of those nifty yeah. twists well i mean that, that's the great thing i think about the movie like i said at the, the very that scene at the very beginning uh, and through the whole movie, there is this basic shift that happens where you see that scene at the beginning where Sitka sacrifices himself to save his brothers all the way through where Kenai kills the bear. And that's, that scene basically almost does a 180 slowly throughout the movie as this stuff gets revealed. It's true. Also, you start to think to yourself that perhaps at this moment – you know, Kenai has this very introspective look, right, where he kind of almost starts to put together that, oh, maybe this is why this happened. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be here for him, right? Because it's at that point that Koda says he always wanted a brother, and he thanks Sitka. Koda does, right? Yes. So it's, you know, there's, there's <laughs> that moment, and it's kind of sort of cool. Also, at this point, we see Sitka again. 
But yeah, so we have the middle part of the film about the journey until we finally arrive at the Salmon Run, uh, where Kenai is introduced to the, all of the bears uh, in, in a very funny way because he screams because he's surrounded by bears. <laughs> That's true. Ooh, love that scene so ooh. much. Oh, ooh. ooh, Cheryl's going ooh. Ooh. Yes, I, I, I noticed that there was an ooh. Yes, Cheryl. Ah. We have our Star Wars connection. Dun, dun. Um, Greg Proops from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Probes. <laughs> Starting again this summer. He has been in Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Star Wars video games, <laughs> and, and so he is um, Fode, his main character is Fode from, from Star Wars The Phantom Menace. He's been in Star Wars video games, and he was the male lover bear. Oh. What? What? The two birds that are the two bears that are in love. The two oh. And then wait, the female lover bear is one of my favorite actresses ever. Oh, Polly Perrette from NCIS. <laughs> Abby oh, yeah. she's adorable. And um, also um, part of the bears is um, Tug, um, was played by the late Michael Clark Duncan. Rest in peace. Um, Estelle Harris was also one of the bears. Yes, a, a very funny one at that. She's so, so that's 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 who I found in 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 the bear. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who found myself wanting to get to know the bears more and, and see more from the other bears in that clan? I wanted to know more of the backstory between the one bear. The, the female bear who thought her husband was dead. <laughs> she was hilarious. She was great. I'm not I'm dead. I'm not dead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we don't see her in the sequel. No, she should have been. Definitely. She should have got her own movie. Definitely. I would have loved well, she, well, Well, Estelle Harris did get Toy Story 3, so. Oh. True true yeah so it's it's funny because I'm, I'm with you on that chris like like so instead of again instead of the direct character interaction we get the montage again and it's the montage set to this song um welcome to our family time i think is the name of the song yes. i know i know the song because at for disney the parade at disneyland's 50th anniversary which was only two years after this movie came out uh really only 18 months after this movie came out used this song so I had no idea it was from this movie. Uh, and guess what? By written by I think it's still written by Phil Collins because I think the whole all the stuff is. But this is sung by a, a band called the Blind Boys of Alabama. Oh, okay. Ryan, when you were there in two thousand five, did you did you um, also be able to um, meet the Brother Bears over in um, the Grand Californian um, dining room? Uh, no, they were at the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail at DCA, though. Ah, no, I meant back in the fifties when you were counting your fifties. Did you see yes. them then? Yeah, in two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, they were there. Yeah, they were at the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail. Oh no! Yeah, we saw them in the restaurant. That's we saw what them Charles... at the restaurant. Oh, did you? Yes. Yeah. I did not see them there. I saw them at the at the trail, though. Are they currently still at the trail? They are not. The trail is now uh, up themed. 
So you get your Wilderness Explorer badge if you do all the challenges on the trail. Oh, okay. But there's still some Brother Bear stuff. That, I was just there a couple of months ago, and there's still some Brother Bear. There's yep. a huge statue in front of the area. Yep, there's there's bear statues there. There's a cave. So there, um, you know, a little spoiler for the movie, but there's a cave where you can put your paw print up, and it shows you if you're a human or a bear print. Um, which is left over from from when the Brother Bear stuff was built. So you got to remember, D- Disney's California Adventure was built in 2001. Uh, this movie came out in 2003. So the the Challenge Trail and some of that stuff there was, you know, probably built with this in mind. Mm. Interesting. I was also disappointed they they do not bring Brother Bear back for um, Canada Day. Well, there was talk about about a Brother Bear attraction in the Canada Pavilion at some point, you know. But it never did happen. Yeah, but but it's it, it was I just when I heard this song because I love the song from the parade, and it's the exact same version in the movie as was used for the parade. Yeah, there's something else Disney uses it for, and I'm trying to put my finger on it, and I can't remember. Somebody's probably screaming at their but they they use it iPhone it, now. Yeah, they use it in the parks for the uh, they play it after the opening. Ceremony at the Magic Kingdom. Is that what it is? That's probably yes. why I have it in my head all the time. Okay. That's... Wow, you're right. They do. Yeah. Is they did the good... same thing at Disneyland. But it's a good solid song. I mean, that's that's why it's so memorable. So. Yeah, it gets stuck in your head really easily, especially the way that um, the way it's sung and the melodies. I mean, it's it's really fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the back to the montage itself, though the the whole purpose of this montage is to get a po- across one point to Kenai, and that is that despite what he sees as insufferable differences between mankind and bearkind, that actually truth is, is that bears are not all that different than man. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what's going on, and he, th- this, is, this is when he starts to come around. Yep. So, it's, again, it's, it's, it's a slow burn for him, right? Because he, he starts... Completely, un- he refuses to acknowledge that he's a bear at all. To now, like you say, he's acknowledging that oh, these bears have a family just like I do. Uh, and it's it's at that point later where there there there's a storytelling session where they throw around half a salmon and whoever catches it has to tell a story. Where things start to get a little real, you know, <laughs> they stop stop making sense and start getting real. Speaking about not making sense, so the bear that speaks Russian. Is that what that is? Because I, I, it was gibberish to me. Well, it sounds it sounds to me like Russian, but I actually read that he's supposed to be Croatian. Okay. Okay. And what he's actually saying? Wait, wait. Somebody actually translated it. That's the of best part about did. it. He said what he said was I, and you'll get the joke as soon as I read it to you. Because think about the time period of the movie, right? Okay. He says I almost froze while I was crossing a huge icy passage. It was something I only survived barely. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because he's talking about the land bridge between Russia and Alaska that used to exist, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I like that. Then later on, he says that about the lovebirds that Charles was talking about. That he goes, these two are making me sick. And only Disney could make the act of eating salmon not seem gruesome and disgusting. They make it very eloquent and and not Raw too salmon. Yeah, and not too gory. Yeah. Raw computer salmon at that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, they bring and they bring that aspect back. That's another thing they stole in Brave. Of eating eating fish. Um, the hunting. You're right. They they do well. I mean, but but no. I mean, yeah, the yeah. way they ate the fish in Brave. They didn't. They. You know, I mean, she gulps them down, but they don't really show you know much gory part of it. That's true. True. I think that's part of being a bear in a Disney film. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not, not going to show. Story. Yeah. But it, it's at this point they start telling stories and everybody's telling like, what, what was the most interesting thing that happened to you this year? And we have Estelle Harris's character, of course, talking about losing her husband, Edgar, who Edgar then yells, I'm not dead yet, which is like my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> Do we ever get to see Edgar? No. No. I, I, th- I think it's interesting that we never actually see Edgar. He's just a voice in the background. And I wonder if animated an Edgar and just decided not to use him for whatever reason. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if they just made the choice. I mean, to me, it was funnier to have him off screen just yelling at the poor woman. <laughs> it's co- comedy gold. But So they're going around telling their stories, and the whole time during the journey, Coda has been telling Kenai that he has a story he wants to tell at this exact moment. And he starts telling the story about his mother fighting these hunters, these monsters, these human monsters. And it's at this point that we start flashing back to that original scene that like you talked about. And Kenai realizes that the story Coda is telling is the story of Kenai hunting the bear and killing Coda's mother. And if it doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, even though even if you know what's happened, then I, I, I feel for you. Right. Well, you you it it's poignant because you realize that Coda has no clue what's actually happened, and I don't mean Kenai turning into a bear. I mean happened to his mother. That's the yeah. what makes this such a heavy moment. Well, and yeah, I mean, and you know, Kenai just can't breathe. He starts breathing heavy and runs away. And it's later that Coda comes up to him and he has to tell him what happened. So here is where, like, and I've said a few times now, like they they just kind of skim over character with, with song and it's not it's not terrible other places. Right here, I cannot believe that they didn't they took that conversation away and put a Phil Collins song over it. Like they give you little bits and pieces of the conversation, but then they give you a Phil Collins song of Kenai telling Coda what you know what really happened and you know that he killed his mother and all this kind of stuff. But we don't get that moment. We just see the reactions on their faces. And we hear Phil Collins sing, and the song he's singing, like literally a word, a line in that song is, "I'm in this cold, dark place, and there is no hope for ever getting out." That's literally a line in the song. Yeah. I, this was the part I was like, that ruined that moment for me. I wasn't a fan of the Phil Collins song, but I knew what was coming, and that moment is so gut-wrenching. I kind of like the way it went by in the span of 30 seconds because I just wanted it to be over with because I didn't want to have to relive that and, and go through all that pain again because it's such a gut-wrenching moment. Yeah. It is. It is. I just – I don't know. Like, did, did, it, did you guys feel like – I'm like, oh, it just it killed me because – you see the two of them separate, and there's no there's no back and forth. There's no what what are you talking about or or any of those sorts of there, things. There's I don't want to hear this. There's a, there's a six year old reaction of I think I know where you're going, yeah. and I don't want to hear this. Right. That's, exactly. That's that's what you get. I mean, 
And I, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think that was maybe not the right reaction they should have gone with. But it's the one they chose. Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say that the moment doesn't have an impact. Because to me, this is like, like Chris, you were talking earlier about Penelope and Ralph and Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, like, this is the moment where he smashes the car in Wreck-It Ralph. That's what this moment is like. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and Disney just Disney does a great job at breaking our hearts because there's a moment, when, like he's, he's not believing it. He just says no, and it just it just breaks your heart. Yeah, it's it it hits hard, <laughs> for sure. Whew. Bree, how long did you cry? Five minutes. <laughs> I mean, seriously, this might be like a top ten most heartbreaking moment in all of Disney films. Yeah, it's, it's uncontrollable fox and hound esque sobbing. Yeah, this is that's actually a good comparison. Like this one between Sitka dying early on and this moment, you know, and when you when you're starting to get that, like for me. Like you were saying, Todd, I figured out pretty soon that it was that his mother was the bear that that uh, Kanai had killed. But it's like that moment of dread because you know this is coming. Yeah. Right, because that's because the fact that you know that is not actually what matters. What matters is the point where you realize that Coda doesn't know his mom is dead, and he has to find out, which is this scene. Yes. Because he's not just finding out that. His mom's dead either. He's finding out that his mom's dead. Kenai's really a human, and Kenai's the hunter that he saw kill his mom. It's information overload. Yeah, it's a lot for a kid. It, it very much so. So, Coda runs away, and uh, Rut and Took catch, catch up, and right in front of Coda, they start going at each other just the way brothers do, and they make up just the way brothers do, and that's what Coda. You know, when he finally hears that, he he sort of shakes off, shakes it off a little bit, and and starts to go look for Kenai. And unfortunately, uh, at that moment, Kenai has found the lights at the top of the mountain, and is being faced down by Denahi, who has found them. And so Sitka has finally gotten uh, Kenai and Denahi to the top of the mountain, where they can face off against each other. Yeah, it's it's actually literally Sitka who brings who helps. Denahi make that final moment of finding Kenai yeah. on the mountain. So it's it's because it again with the eagle actually guides him. Yep. So that the two of them are basically facing off. I mean, they start fighting, and it's at that point where Coda steps in and knocks the spear out of Denahi's hand before it can get to Kenai and interrupts the fight. And that is where Sitka shows up. Kenai goes goes to help Coda, and Sitka shows up, grabs him, and turns him back into a human. Which blows the mind of both Denahi and Coda. Yeah, you know what's interesting is this. I was trying to think about it, and I still haven't been able to put my finger on it. But I mentioned is this scene reminds me of another movie, and I can't remember what it is. But that point where um, Denahi's holding the spear exactly like Kenai held the spear, and Kenai's jumping at Denahi the same way Coda's mom jumped at. Right, you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that whole scene. And then all of a sudden it's like, stop, right? And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, where like everything pauses and that's because it doesn't actually happen. It doesn't play out where Kenai dies instead, Sicker grabs up, like you said, and 
reverts him back. But that the way everything just stops and it pulls out and there's that explosion on the top of the mountain almost, mm-hmm. right? Well, it, it, it reminds yeah. me of something, and I can't place what it is. Well, the transformation, the the Sitka grabbing him and him being wrapped up in the, you know, in the light reminds me a lot of the transformation at the end of Beauty and the Beast. But, oh. it's, but that's not what you're talking about. No, I mean this is a movie where there's literally some some moment where, like, I almost felt like like there was a voice on the top of the mountain that just said stop. Right? It didn't actually yeah. happen, but I felt like it was said. Yeah, so he turns him back into a human, uh, and Coda is really shocked. And Denahi is shocked, but he's happy to have his brother back. But Coda is really upset. I mean, and Denahi goes and tries to comfort him. And, you know, Coda does understand that it is Kanai, but he's still upset. Uh, and it's at that point that Kanai realizes, you know what? He needs me. He, he, You know, Coda needs me. He doesn't have his mother. He needs somebody to stay with him and asks Sitka to turn him back into a bear. So he can stay with Coda. Um, and while that's happening, Coda briefly gets to see his mother again, who is a spirit. And Kenai turns back into a bear. And now we have the three brothers are back together. Only Coda has taken the place of Sitka. So it's the whole movie. It's interesting. It's, it's sort of a parallel structure or I don't know if parallel is the right word. But, it, you know, it basically goes from one point and ends in another point with Coda serving as the, you know, the go-between replacing Sitka. But, I mean, you start with three brothers, you end with three brothers. Also, this was Bree's fifth box of tissues. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the last ten minutes, I was done for. Just done. I can believe it. It's a tearjerker. I mean, it's... It is. Yeah. It is. But in the end, uh, you know, Kanai lives with the rest of the bears, but he's able to go back to the cave at the very beginning and put his paw print on the wall uh, because he has learned about love and become a man. And the bears and the Inuits apparently live together in happiness from this point forward. Uh, because Oh, they... no. <laughs> we will well, not say that. That's what the end of the movie suggests. Let's put it that way. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, the sequel, I'm assuming, does not go that way, is what I'm gathering from, from here. It, the sequel, like I said, it's not bad. It's just, it's not, the way they get to the point, I mean, it's it's got elements of, it's got that love interest thing going on that, like, um, Hunchback 2 does. Ah, okay. So that's, that's but it does it better, so. It would have and, and also not hard. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. I, I, the the narrator's voice in this is really good. I mean, it's, it, he's uh, almost Morgan Freeman esque in the way he bookends the, with his narrations. Yes. Okay, and everybody who, I'm, you know, Morgan Freeman, the way he, his whole reason for acting is his voice. He's just one of those type of actors. And uh, it, it just reminds me of that a lot. Now, this is actually the guy who does the. Um, I don't know, remember his name, but he's actually the guy that they consulted about. Uh, Inuit history and Inuit language and stuff like that is they love the way he talks so they actually had him read the narration oh that's cool yeah so but I I, I like that um, that when he when he ends it too because he goes you know this is this is the story of how you know my brother became a man by becoming a bear as it's it's awkward to say but after seeing the movie it works yes (laughs) yeah but you can't use that at the very beginning 
No, which is why I'm glad that they saved it for the end. Like, they kind of, you know, broke it up in the middle kind of thing and told the whole story. Yeah, it was very Wonder Years-esque with, you know, a a first-person telling of the story. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right, so uh, do we have anything else to add, or should we rate this? Well, we see the eagle fly off one more last time. Yes, very true. Sitka flies off. So we know that he's still there. Yeah. Uh, Um, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not but, really. But he's been replaced. <laughs> I'm not commenting until we talk to Brother Bear. Until we talk the, about the sequel, I have to leave my comments vague. The, sick, the brothers are not in the sequel. That's Charles' biggest complaint about the sequel. Neither neither Sitka nor, nor Danahi come into play at all in the sequel. Are there even all, bears in the sequel? There are yeah. bears. There are all the bears. Okay. Are, all the bears are in the sequel. So there's your there's your answer, Chris. That's how you get to know the bears better. Watch the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I think it should be called Brother Moose. I mean, they all have moose. Are the moose in the sequel? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's some redeeming value then. The in, the sequel, in the sequel, the moose go to Japan and, and do a race. No, no, no. <laughs> oh no. Okay, now that I would actually li- I would actually watch that. <laughs> a la Cars too. I, I got that. Yeah, that was good. Actually, you know what it reminded me of more? I, I thought of um, that Mater Tall Tale where they do the um, the drifting one where he's the, the drifting racer. <laughs> right, that's, like that's that. really what I thought of when you said that. I do like that. <laughs> Very so. good. All right, so uh, shall we rate this and uh, and see what everybody thought of Brother Bear? Sure. All right, as always, we'll let our guest go first, Chris. Give us your, your summation and your rating one to five on Brother Bear. Well, I, I think that Brother Bear gets such a hard rap. It's kind of, you know, casual Disney fans look at it as one of, like, the worst Disney animated films out there. But you have to realize that this film came along in a very tumultuous time for the Disney company. Roy Disney had just left the company. You have Michael Eisner is on his way out. There's lots of different things going on, so... You have to realize that th- there's that backstory, first of all. Do you all know about the development of this film, how this film came about? I, I don't. Go for it. Well, because Disney makes The Lion King, which was a huge, massive hit. And so on the back of that, they have all this merchandise. They have all this plush. They open up all these Disney stores. And then, of course, years later, Lion King cools off. So Michael Eisner says, well, let's make a movie about bears because we can sell lots of bear merchandise. And then 10 years later, you get Brother Bear. So or eight, eight years later, you get Brother Bear. So um, it was kind of – that's how it was set into motion was, well, let's make some merchandise. So you have to realize that in that context of all of what was going on at the Disney company when they made this film, I think all in all, looking at it 10 years later, it's a pretty decent film. If Pixar could make this – with their technology and their storytelling abilities, it'd be a great Pixar movie. I'd name so, it Brave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brother Bear itself is, I think, is a great film. It's it's um it's it's decent at least. It's not great, but it's a decent film, and I give it uh I give it at least three stars. No, not real. I mean, I have some problems with the ending of the film. I think the ending was a little bit too too quick and too forced and too easy. But uh, again, I think it's a it's a great emotional film. It probably didn't play as well with young children as some other Disney films, but it's still a great a good film. Fair enough. All right, all right, Cheryl, you do you disagree with this three, or do you do you agree with it? 
Um, I'm going to actually go higher than a history. I'm going to go with a... I, I think this is a four. Um, the original time we saw this was very funny. <laughs> um, basically, the story behind this um, was that we had gotten a virtual pole. On the cruise ship. On the cruise oh, ship. nice. And so, since your virtual porthole is really hard to see, you you know, you, you, if you in Todd wanted to see everything. I, yeah, I'm a completist, so I wanted to see all the video, special videos on the porthole, so I made sure that on an afternoon we stayed in the room. <laughs> and so we, watched, so we watched movies, and the porthole's behind you at the head of your bed, right? So what I did was I propped open the bathroom door with the mirror, because it has a mirror on the back of it, so I could see the porthole when it would do the pixie dust across it. We would pause whatever movie we were watching, turn around and watch the porthole, and then when it was done, we would turn around and continue watching the movie until, we, until they started to finally repeat. Wow. You're a horrible person for doing that to Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we watched uh, this. We watched this, and we watched Kung Fu Panda, and something, and and we got through everything in two movies. It was it was actually pretty good. Okay, I'll forgive you then. Yeah. But that's right, how, so, but that's how OCD taught is. That's what everyone knows. I I believe it. I believe it. So, so um, I definitely, but I really enjoyed that. I it it stayed with me, and um, I was really happy to hear that this came out on Blu-ray. I'm really looking forward to buying this on Blu-ray now. Actually, I would I would buy the Blu-ray. Of this I'll spend the whatever bucks and buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> All right, Bree. So, this is actually not something that many of my friends know about me, but Brother Bear ranks very high on my list of favorite Disney films. Um, one of the reasons is the soundtrack. I'm absolutely obsessed with, this, with the transformation song by the Bulgarian Women's Choir. Like, I am completely obsessed with that song. I will just randomly just put it on during my day to tune out. Um, I, I think the music is beautiful. Um, Bri, I, I thought you were going to say you were obsessed with Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of grateful, too, that that's not the case. So I appreciate that you clarified, Brie. <laughs> I do enjoy uh, Look Through My Eyes and On My Way, you know, for fun. But, but that transformation song, that just really brings me to tears. So amazing. Um, very heartfelt film. I think it was different for me seeing it this, this second time because the first time I saw it, it just made me cry so much I wasn't able to focus on the actual plot. And, you know, everything that unraveled. So this time I was, and I realized what a beautiful film it is. And by the way, props to those rams yelling at their own echoes. I thought yes. they, were, they were awesome. Um, I'm actually going to give this one four and a half. I love, love, love this film. All right, all right. Todd, what about you? Bree, did you happen to catch the uh, end credit stuff where the, you go back to the rams? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> You shut up. You shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Missing the concept entirely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I I uh, really enjoy this movie too. I think it's – I agree with what Chris is saying. I think it's highly underrated um, and it's, it's a shame. I mean I think a lot of people view it negatively too because uh, they had higher hopes for – 
the Florida studio and it being the last film, it just leaves a bad taste, maybe. I, I'm not sure. Uh, for, for me, though, I, I mean, it's – I really enjoy it. It's not quite a four, so I'm going to go with a 3.75. Right, and and so, keep in sure. mind that this film came out right in the you know the kind of beginning of the digital animated film revolution. So you had Ice Age was released um, five or six months prior to Brother Bear. So compared to things like Ice Age and Finding Nemo, this just looks so behind the times and so old back then. People didn't want to go watch that. Right. Which is sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It got, it got lost in the shuffle, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I personally I will go with with you guys. I'm a, I'm at a four on this. I'm with Cheryl and and, and Bree and, and Todd and, and I think Chris even too. I think we're all saying like this is an underrated film. Uh, I I was actually surprised because I actually uh, went out and bought this. It came out on on DVD uh, around my birthday one year, and you know just I had twenty bucks in my pocket and said you know what for my birthday I'm going to buy this movie. And I never had sat down and watched it in all the intervening years, and I don't really know why. Just never got around to it, and uh, so I was actually really happy to watch it this time. And despite this, I mean, the thing that keeps it from being a five for me is the fact that they don't take. You know, I mentioned it a couple times through. Is that they have those montages at moments where I feel like they could have done character moments. Um, like I don't feel like this actually needed music. It was a good enough film without the music. I know what you're saying, Bree. Like the songs are great, but they don't necessarily fit in the mo- in the movie for me. But that's just me. Um, but I'll give it a four. I think it's uh, it's great. And if you haven't seen it, or if you're one of those folks that that Chris was talking about who bash it, I think we would all agree you need to watch this. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for for this week's episode on Brother Bear. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yes, we were uh, very, very happy to have you. Uh, and if you agree with us and you, you've seen Brother Bear and you like it or dislike it or whatever you whatever you like, uh, go over and let us know at uh, DisneyFilmProject.com. You can leave a note in the show notes and uh, we, can, we can read that and talk about it. Uh, you can also, on Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of any of us, um, tweet as, at DisFilmProject. D-I-S Film Project, and we can respond to you there about what you thought about the show. And then, of course, on Facebook, don't forget us there. You can go and search Disney Film Project, and you can find us on Facebook. All right? So uh, until next week, folks, stay cool. No way. You're breaking my concentration, eh? And from that moment on, I was more careful about what I lick. Hey, that mountain came out of nowhere. This year, I watched my mom in a life or death struggle against all odds, battling possibly the most fierce creatures on the face of the earth. Hey, don't throw your fish bones over here. Someone could choke on that. <laughs>